All right, Katie. I have a story to tell you. I can't wait. So this happened to me recently, and the beginning part of the story is amazing, and the last part of the story I think we should talk about a little bit more. So about a week ago, I went on vacation, and it was a very last-minute kind of vacation. John and I just decided we needed to get out of town. It was the end of the semester, and we just needed to check out a little bit. Yeah. And so we booked two last-minute flights to the desert in California because we figured it would be hot and there wouldn't be a lot going on and we would be forced to relax. And one of the things that we did when we got there is we turned our phones off. We knew that old school phones would work and people knew where we were. So if they needed the dial to reach phones. us, the, the <laughs> dial phones, correct. They actually still exist as it turns out. You want, Side note, there's a really funny payphone still at this store that we go to in Vermont. Amazing. And it works. Yeah. What? Yeah, it works. Payphone. You got to put a quarter in it. Okay. I challenge you to call me from it. I'm going to do that. And we're going to record <laughs> it for this episode. Like, like a, a, a whole roll of quarters yes, to call me where I'm true. at. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm doing it. Okay. So as it turns out, old, old school phones are still available. And so we decided we would turn them off. And I'm not kidding. We actually did this is that we locked them in the safe of so smart yeah locked them in the safe of our hotel room so that we would not be tempted to take a selfie to take a picture to text somebody to check the news we literally were like we are checking out of the world and we are not going to let anything else into our brains well yeah because as soon as you even if you go to take a picture your mind is then triggered by habit to click instagram click your email, click your text messages. It's that um, unconscious pattern that we have created in our life. You know, something crazy is there is a huge physiologic response that people have this dopamine surge of pleasure Mm -hmm. that is happening in your brain when you are constantly checking your phone, constantly checking to see how many likes you have. If there's something in the, you know, on Twitter or on Facebook that you've missed, you, we are constantly in this cycle now where we need that surge of pleasure essentially in order to feel fulfilled. Okay. So this is what we did. We decided we were going to like check out old school. You actually probably, we are probably two people that can remember a time before cell phones. Yes. Yes. I didn't get my first cell phone until I was 18 years old. Yeah. No, it was my Christmas present, my senior year of high school. So, um, you know, my mom had a cell phone before that, that I could sometimes like check out, (laughs) uh, and take with me on the weekend if I was, you know, going to a friend's house or something. But for, you know, almost half of my life, I didn't have a cell phone and you're the same. Same. Actually, I think I'm definitely a couple of years older than you because (laughs) I had, I, not my mother had first generation flip cell phone and I didn't get it until I was midway through college. So yeah. Rapid fire. Okay, so this is what we did, and it was amazing. And we were there for three days, literally no technology. I took, and you can check it on Instagram, I took one picture, a selfie, on, literally after we checked out on the way out the door, just for fun. Mm-hmm. And that is it. It was amazing. But here's the, here's the like unpleasant part. So we were in California, and we're driving back to L.A. Yeah. Have you ever driven around in L.A.? Unfortunately, yes. Oh my God. It's, it's like, I think Boston's bad until I go to LA and then I'm like, what? Oh yeah. So anyways, we're driving back into LA and there's traffic and people are honking and it's hot. And it was just like, I turned my phone on and it just started exploding. 
And I have to say, I don't, I am lucky that I don't have any kind of anxiety or panic attack kind of um, experiences. But if I was going to describe what it must feel like to have a mini panic attack, I feel like that's how I felt in the car driving back. Yeah. I have not experienced a feeling like that in maybe ever, if not at least in a time that I can recall. It was awful. So what do you think was the underlying feeling? Was it fear that you had missed something important? Was it just the um, immediate stress response as to it makes you feel like, oh, I'm, I'm going back into this like work mindset where um, I have all these, these tasks and these to-dos that I need to meet. And so you're you know, what do you think was the underlying response that happened Yeah, I think that, that made the, you feel that way? Yep. The exact second one that you're talking about. I'm actually not much of a FOMO person because I'm a bit of an introvert and yeah. I kind of like my private time. Um, and I don't mind doing things by myself, but I am definitely a type A personality. I write lists. Yeah. I have all the things that I need to do. I've got nine bajillion things going on in my life. I need it to be super, super organized. You're Virgo rising. I am through. Virgo rising. <laughs> I know you keep telling me this. I'm Virgo rising. Um, and so it was just all of a sudden this rush back of the 9,000 things that I just hadn't paid attention to yeah. that I felt like all of a sudden I needed to attend to. And my stress response was through the roof. And it's almost a sense of um, guilt or shame for taking that time um, and feeling that oh shit moment that I haven't fulfilled what I was supposed to fulfill, mm -hmm. that I'm maybe not um, meeting the expectations of others. Is that my Taurus? Is that what that is? That's both of your earth signs. Okay, great, Definitely good. Virgo and your Taurus. Okay, so this is what I want to do for this episode. I want to dig into that response. Amazing. And see, let's unpack that a little let's bit. Let's unpack here. it. Welcome to the Intuitive Science Podcast. This is a podcast where a scientist and a witch explore the elements of the human condition from two seemingly incompatible perspectives. I'm Rachel, a professor, a scientist, a wellness entrepreneur, a total fitness know it all, and a sucker for red wine. I'm Katie, a fitness professional mindfulness expert, intuitive, travel junkie, and a modern-day witch. Together, we are a force of energy, excited to playfully explore some pretty serious shit. At Intuitive Science, we will discuss the essentials of human well-being and answer questions from a scientific perspective and an intuitive perspective. Okay, Katie, so let's start unpacking that stress response that I had. And I want to talk about mindfulness because I know this is an area of your expertise. And I want you to tell me what mindfulness is and how I can use it in that kind of a situation. Cool. So mindfulness is really non-judgmental observation. It's, so um, I was judging myself as we were coming back into LA. I think we kind of decided that was part of it, <laughs> yes. Um, we have this need to label things in life. And typically we either label them as good, we label them as bad, 
And there's sort of a third category, which is a neutral response. Um, typically neutral, we don't like it because it's tepid. It doesn't really give us that extreme feeling in our nervous system. So we kind of ignore anything that we're neutral about. Those moments in between checking your Instagram posts. Exactly. And that's, you know, that is the moment where we need that trigger to come back to like the good feeling, like you said, where we need to um, to see all the likes, to see the things like the the text messages, the moments where we're craving connection. Isn't that moment though kind of the essence of life? That sort of neutral moment where you can just be. Yes. Right. So okay, let's just look at good and bad. Let's just start there. So your good experiences are. Anything that you want to grasp at, you want to hoard it, you want to repeat those experiences, you want to repeat those feelings. It's com- almost like nostalgia, right? We want that sort of past feeling of pleasure. Um, and then the bad experiences or the things that we label as not good are the, the moments, the experiences, the relationships that we want to push away, that we deny, that we run away from. Um, there's a moment when you observe something There's a fleeting second before your patterns, your past experiences of it, Mm. um, your emotions attach to it. Okay, so here we are. We're sitting in the library, in the Boston Public Library. Public Library, right now. It's gorgeous. And this is my first time here, which is. Oh, really? So, yeah. So, I have no emotional attachment to this place. See, I have happy emotions attached to this place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But. You know, I look across the room and I see a chair and there's a moment when I first, my eyes, right, the science of it, I observe that chair across the room before I label any experience I've had against it or with it or about it. You've had experiences with the chair. (laughs) Deeper story. Deeper story. (laughs) Um, It's my best option I have right now. Or a book or whatever it is. Um, but there's that moment before we attach our our emotion to it that it just is what it is. Right. And that moment is mindfulness because there's no reaction. There's no um, expectation. There's no anticipation. There's no good, bad, or otherwise. It just It's just a chair. It just is what it is. And so mindfulness... I think is very misunderstood. I agree. And I actually think it's so like 2015 (laughs) and it was so hot that year. It was so hot that year and not because it's not important. And I, we're going to talk about this, I think in a few minutes, but this is obviously an ancient practice. Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel like it's been thwarted a bit that everybody talks about having to be mindful and every yoga class you go to people are like let everything go and just be in the moment and I feel like it's kind of going in one ear and out the other right now it definitely can because I think that there's a misunderstanding around Mm -hmm. what it is Um, you know we look at or we've been sort of taught in the past that meditation which is sort of the root practice of mindfulness, um, is letting all the thoughts go, just right. completely emptying your brain. And most people, that's scary because that they don't scary. understand how to do it. But that's not really what it's about. It's that 
again, it's creating, you're stepping outside of your own perspective to take what we call sort of the observer mentality, where you're observing the thoughts that you're having and you're detaching from any emotional response to those thoughts. Go ahead. So that's loaded, though. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, figuring out how to detach yourself emotionally from past experiences, from, um, you know, feelings that you have attached to these, these things, like that's, that's, this sort of goes back to the checking the Instagram. That's, it's very physiologic. It's not just that people can shut that off because it's Mm -hmm. quite literally chemicals working in your body and on your brain that have and create that response. So that's hard. It is hard. And (laughs) that's why like life is hard (laughs) and my students say this all the time it's like that's a hard thing to do yeah well life is hard but and a lot of things that we receive as aversions in our meditation practice are actually things that we're really unwilling to look at in our own life right there's things that come up and their habits and we've kind of created these like deep ruts and grooves of habit in our life and we live on autopilot we're constantly making choices, but are those choices really chosen by us or is it just our habitual response? So how does mindfulness help to change that? So mindfulness changes that through discipline and through self-inquiry and self-awareness because you're more, once you are able to step outside of your own emotional response, you're better able to choose the response that you want. And that response is hopefully going to be one that's out of um, or in alignment with your highest self, your highest purpose versus, um, a response based off of fear or insecurity or disconnection. So I have always sort of thought of mindfulness as observing yourself in the context of a larger something Mm -hmm. universe, you know, environment, whatever. And as kind of a disconnection from that, but you're not really saying that. You're saying that it's more that you're watching the experiences that you have within that environment, not so much disconnecting from it. 100%. So it's actually the opposite of that. It's ap- the opposite of disconnection. When you use mindfulness, you observe how connected you are to sort of the web of life around you and how much your choices impact the greater web, right? So all like of the butterfly effect. Totally. <laughs> that movie with Ashton Kutcher. <laughs> that's, a, that's a dark one. That's a dark one. I mean, that's also like a physics theory too, right? Um, I, I, I want to share this quote. This is from John Kabat-Zinn, which I know oh, that I you want to talk I about. Do. Oh, is it you just going to talk about it yeah. too? Um, in the book, Wherever You Go, There You Are, which I highly recommend everyone read. It's an incredible book on mindfulness and um, just beautifully written. But he describes mindfulness as a practical way to be more in touch with the fullness of your being through a systematic process of self-observation, self-inquiry, and mindful action. So it's really interesting that you say this. So I um, have a master's degree in education, and I was first introduced by, to John Kabat-Zinn and the world of mindfulness 
when I was doing my master's and I was just so taken by the powerfulness of his theories. And then there's another scientist. Taken um, is such a good word because that's yes. just the way he's like captivating. Captivating. Yeah. Yes. Um, there's another scientist called Herbert Benson who's over at MGH. Um, John kabat is at University of Massachusetts. And you, do you know something really interesting about John Kabat-Zinn is that he was, I believe he got his degree at MIT and he was like an anti-Vietnam War protester and started to really think about mindfulness after he was like, got like shit beat out of him by some oh, police wow. people at a protest that Ugh. he was at and among others, like it was just kind of like a chaotic yeah. moment. Um, and he was arrested and really started to sort of change his life after that thinking that, you know, he didn't want to be the agitator anymore, that he wanted to be the peacemaker yeah. and how to do exactly what you're saying, this sort of practical way to be more in touch. And I think this speaks to both of our little worlds here too, is that he very thoughtfully tried to, at the time in the seventies, this was like the hippy dippy kind of, you know, like, you know, meditation circles and yeah. stuff and people were just that like kind of people yeah not yeah, your people yeah <laughs> living on communes um people were having a really hard time with it because it was so new age and so what he did which i think is really thoughtful and he's really sort of like the father of modern mindfulness mm -hmm. is he tried to sort of coin this term mindfulness without having any kind of religious you know, bent to it. So it really yeah. is born out of Buddhism. Mm -hmm. But he was like, if I start talking about Buddhism, people are not going to buy into this. And yeah. he recognized that it was so important for people's state of mind that he really created a theory and then a practice of mindfulness and sort of the mind-body connection. Do you want to share anything from his studies? Well, actually, so he has done, he's done a lot of really cool studies, but the one that I love the most was actually done very recently um, at Herbert Benson, the Benson, Inst excuse me, the Benson Henry Institute at MGH. And I don't know this for real, but I do know academics and I'll bet these two drive each other crazy <laughs> trying to like one up each other with their studies, which is, I think, kind of funny that they're like mindfulness experts exactly. and yet probably also in some kind of competition with one another, but welcome to academia. Um, so this was a really cool study that they did recently in patients with hypertension. And we can talk about why this probably works um, from a physiologic perspective in just a second, but mm -hmm. it was just so cool. So what happens is, is he t takes all these patients um, from different, you know, he's worked with people with diabetes and he's worked with people with hypertension, which is high blood pressure. And it, this is not shocking because high blood pressure is going to be an effect of this stress response, right? Exactly. It is, you know, it's exactly what this stress response was made to do was yep. increase your blood pressure. And so there was this study that he did with patients with hypertension and, but they were looking at gene changes. Mm -hmm. So changing protein synthesis, which is essentially how cells in your body communicate with one is another. Is that epigenetics? Yeah. So I there's, love that word. Yes. Such epigenetics. Great, okay. Yeah. And so this is kind of like the nature or nurture thing is that for the longest time we thought that DNA was, you know, solid and that was, there was no way to change it. And then we figured out, yes, you're born with your DNA, but you can actually tweak it and yep. have different effects. And that's exactly right. It's called epigenetics. Um, Look at me being sciencey. You are so sciencey today. <laughs> Um, and so what they did was really cool is they checked the genes of these people that were using what he calls the relaxation response, which is yeah. another technique that he has sort of created and coined. 
Um, and what they found was that there were gene changes in immune, regula immune regulatory pathways, metabolism, glucose metabolism, cardiovascular system, um, and even circadian rhythm, which we should talk about that at one point, but circadian rhythm is how your body responds to sleep-wake cycles yes. and light. And what they found was that all of those genes were actually regulated in a positive way. So meaning away from the stress response. Amazing. And so, you know, they were just using this relaxation response and it's a, it's a very simple, it's not meditation mm -hmm. really. It's just a kind of a breathing exercise. And through that breathing exercise, quite literally changed the genes in your body. So let's, this is a perfect segue into talking a little bit about the sympathetic and the parasympathetic mm. nervous system and um, sort of the science behind our fight or flight and our rest and digest systems and kind of giving the listeners some background on that. Yeah. So this, so when I was driving back into LA, I was feeling what we call the fight or flight system. 100 P. Yeah. So um, basically you have what's called your autonomic nervous system, which is the nervous system that you have no control over, really. I mean, as it turns out, we actually do have some control over yes, it. Yes, we do. Um, but it was traditionally been thought of as something that you don't. So like, for example, your heart is beating right now and you might be able to speed it up or slow it down, but your heart is still going to beat. You actually can't make it stop or start by itself. Yeah. Um, if you do some deep breathing and you're in that fight or flight moment, you can actually bring it down, um, your heart rate down. So there is some control over it, but it's typically an unconscious system. So what, from what I know, just based on my limited um, interaction with the two based off of my training through you know, yoga and restorative yoga and meditation and breathing, it's kind of like a light switch, right? So as soon as you're um, sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight or flight is activated. It's like a light switch goes off and everything, all of the systems sort of turn on. Yeah, that's exactly right. So your brain works through something called your amygdala, which is this part of your brain. That's like, you actually have very little control over mm -hmm. and it basically sends all these signals into your body, eventually gets down into your adrenal glands, which are going to release adrenaline, epinephrine, and you get that huge rush. Have you ever had an experience? Actually, you just probably did. Yeah. You were telling me about your car I crash. Got, yeah, I got doored um, last weekend on my riding my bike in the South End. And yeah, it. I was in shock yeah. after it happened. Like I had just, I stood there with my eyes closed, just trying to breathe and check in with mm -hmm. my body, noticing, you know, am I, is there actually something wrong? Is something broken? Or am I, is my body just reacting to the, the situation that just happened? Yeah. Because what I know, too, is that your amygdala mm -hmm. is emotionally triggered as correct. well, correct? Yep. Okay, keep going. Yeah, and so what will happen is you, you get this sort of rush of adrenaline, and then you have your sort of like a... So that's like the first thing. So if you've ever had that experience where your body kind of reacts without you even really being able to pay attention to it. So mm -hmm. likely when you were headed toward that door, your body Im immediately like turned away from it and your heart rate started going up because it was, you tensed yeah. up, exactly, everything. So that's that first rush. 
And then you've got this sort of second wave that comes in through your, what's called the HPA axis, which is your hypothalamus, your pituitary, and then your adrenal glands. And that sort of like keeps everything going for a long period of time. And that's where you start to see hormones get released. And so things like cortisol, you've probably heard of. Absolutely. Is a hormone that is going to be released that is highly inflammatory, but it also keeps that rush going so mm -hmm. that if you needed to pedal away as hard as you could for whatever reason, not that you would when you get doored, but you know, if you needed to keep running or pedaling away, you would have the ability to do that. And so what it does is it shuts off anything you don't need. So your heart rate's up, your blood pressure's up because it wants to get blood to your muscles, which are also like super juiced because it's also going to turn on um, the release of glucose. So you've got heart rate up, you've got sugar in your system so that your muscles can keep working and you're basically primed to just go, 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 go. So that's fight or flight. And with that, so then it turns off your other effects that your body doesn't need. Exactly. Yes. So things like digestion yes. and um, a lot of like glandular action. So, you know, um, anything that you would need to sort of in, be in recovery mode, all of that is completely shut off. It shunts all of the blood into your arms and legs so that you can quite literally run. Yeah. Because your brain doesn't know whether or not I just was doored or if I'm running away from a bear. Exactly. You know? So it has to sort of give the energy where it's necessary. That's exactly right. So on the other side, on the flip side then is the parasympathetic nervous system, That's which right. is the rest or digest. Exactly. And the parasympathetic nervous system is not really a switch. It's more like a thermostat. So I love that analogy. Yeah. We actually use that one a lot. I teach anatomy or used to teach anatomy. Um, and it's the, the sort of thermostat is kind of your homeostatic regulation. Okay. So basically what that means is that your brain is eventually going to realize that you do not need to be in fight or flight anymore. And it starts to recalibrate itself to bring you back into what we call homeostasis. And that's just sort of like kind of like this space that we were talking about just a second ago. It's that neutral space in between yeah. where everything is sort of working as it appropriately should. And so this, where your nervous system, your sympathetic nervous system is going to use adrenaline and cortisol. Your parasympathetic nervous system uses a bunch of different um, neurotransmitters like acetylcholine. It uses a peptide called GABA um, and a bunch of central nervous system nerves to actually change your nervous system to start to bring everything back down. And it will turn on things like digestion again and normal brain function. So, you know, you start to think about, you know, the frontal lobe of your brain where you can start concentrating again and you're not just operating on, um, you know, just sort of a stress. Reaction. Yeah, stress. <laughs> reaction. Exactly. Yeah, that's a yeah. perfect word too as well. Um, so I was told that it's about 16-ish minutes on average that it takes the average adult to turn, to essentially bring that thermostat back down from the fight or flight down to the um, rest and digest system. Yeah, I think that's probably about right. I would say depending on sort of how good you are at recovering from that system. And I think, you know, this is a place where mindfulness can probably be a very effective tool is that with practice, you can probably make it better. But if you were not practiced, then I would say somewhere between 15 and 20 minutes that you're in that super amped yeah. up state. Yeah. So based on what I've been taught um, in my different trainings through mindfulness practices 
yoga meditation, especially restorative yoga, which is using props to really allow the body to fully surrender and soften. I love that kind of yoga. I'm not going to lie. So good. My brain craves the like crazy vinyasa stuff, but really I think it actually wants the restorative so much more. And that's what I told a lot of my students is that more of that like good dopamine Mm -hmm. producing feelings. And we get that a lot when we're constantly on the move when in what we actually need is balance. Mm -hmm. And when we allow ourselves to soften and surrender and sort of find that homeostasis, um, that's where the good shit is. But, um, so circling back through those practices, if you do them daily, it's like discipline. You have to do it. You can actually decrease that by about half. Yeah. I, so I don't know if there's been actual studies that show that, but I think anecdotally that's probably pretty accurate is that even if it's not by half, it's significantly less, which is why mindfulness I think is so important because being in that supercharged state is also highly related to all of the diseases of our time. So you think about diabetes because you're in this stress response, you've got extra glucose hanging around, which you don't want. If you've got you know, cardiovascular disease, and this is purposefully increasing your blood pressure, you're adding a load onto that. The highly inflamed state, if you continuously are in this, you know, every now and again, a little bit of inflammation isn't bad, but if you're constantly in this stress state, all the diseases that are going to go along with that, including things like cancer. So all of these are really related to that super juiced up, amped up state. And not just that, but, you know, you talked about not having anxiety Mm. or panic attacks, but Mm -hmm you know, what is the percentage of adults that are living with some type of anxiety and, and panic ridden states and myself included, you know, I had my first panic attack or my one and only actually not my first, my one and only panic attack about eight or so years ago. And that was sort of what spurred my journey into this. And do you feel like this helped? 1000%, 1000%. And it's, Every day is a challenge for everyone. But for me, I just, I lived my life in that anxiety sort of state, thinking that that's just the way it was, that Mm. that was just normal. Um, And it wasn't until I was aware of another way and sort of mindfulness, I think, always circles back to self-awareness. And if we're not aware of something, we're not aware of it. But once we are, it's really hard to ignore it. That's how I felt when I came back from California because I was living in such a crazed state for so long. I just didn't even notice it anymore. And then when I took that moment, it it was not three full days away from it. Once I reinserted myself into that space, it was so overwhelming and I could recognize how much it was truly affecting me. Yeah, and because it's it comes back to being habit and our, you know, response to things unconsciously. So how can we bring more awareness into our lives? Regulate that thermostat. Yeah. Through this practice. John Kabat-Zinn has another great um, nugget of information. Love the nuggets. I know. There's so many in this book. You guys have to get it. Um, Mindfulness nurtures greater awareness greater clarity, acceptance of the present moment reality. And when we can have though that, um, that increase of participation in our life, we value 
the moments that happen, the present moments without um, looking or like striving for what happened in the past or constantly looking into the future. And we can truly see the possibility of um, and the depth of the growth and transformation, acceptance and freedom that we have within us right here, right now. Because we're just okay with the neutral moments, knowing that we don't have to be constantly, what's the word I'm looking for? Constantly stimulated. Striving? Yeah. For something else. Yeah. Wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, there you are. And it's not necessarily about being, it, it's just full awareness and observation, you know? And you just accept where you are and how you are in relationship to all the things around you. Okay, I have one last question for you. And I think this actually is an interesting criticism of mindfulness is that like we were talking about in the beginning, this can be really overwhelming if you don't practice it often and you don't really understand where you're going with it. And so the question is, if mindfulness is really about being only present in the moment, then how do you translate this to like what your overall purpose is? How do you, how do you, as in like, how do you feel like you're not just a lost tiny speck among all of these things that don't really matter? Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Um, and I think that that's a little bit of a misinterpretation of what mindfulness does because it's actually, and we kind of talked, touched on this before, it's the opposite of disconnection. Uh, mindfulness is really breaking the cycles of separation, of suffering, of um, struggle. And when we're able to... Can it also be separating yourself from those extreme highs as well? Those surges of pleasure? Yeah, the need to strive for something yeah. other than exactly where you are. Mm. And sometimes that's, you know, it's, it's witnessing and sitting with where you are. And sometimes that's going to be happiness. And sometimes it's going to be sadness, but without attaching yourself in any way to that. Does that make sense? Probably not. <laughs> so no, I think it makes sense. I think then the final question is if you are feeling happy or if you are feeling sad, are you supposed to feel those feelings? Or are you supposed to extract yourself from those feelings and observe and just acknowledge that you're feeling those feelings? Cause that seems a bit yeah. like denial to me. <laughs> without like just not accepting them. Yeah. I, like I'm feeling sad, but I'm not going to let, like I, have you ever seen Gone with the Wind? No, I haven't actually. Okay. So Gone with the Wind, there's this one line, Vivian Lee, it's a book as well, but in the movie, Vivian Lee is Scarlett O'Hara. And she says, I'm just not going to think about this till tomorrow. So how do you separate yeah. mindfulness from that experience where you're, you're not Well, that's avoidance. Yeah. <laughs> so what's the difference though? I think that that's an and important that's, yeah. distinct, dis distinction. Distinction. Yeah. yeah. And that's, one of the, what I would call the aversions, which we'll get into in probably part two or three mm -hmm. or four of mindfulness, um, is avoidance, is that we are trying to avoid the things. It's like pushing away. It's the rejection of the bad things mm -hmm. without just being able to sit with the sadness or the um, unhappiness and just witness it for what it is. Like It's not bad or good. It's just how you feel at this moment. It's just an emotion. And what is the underlying... Um, when you're stepping outside as like an observer, what's the underlying um, trigger for that sadness? 
And so I think maybe this ties into some of this research that we were talking about with the relaxation response is mm-hmm. that you are sort of sitting back, closing your eyes and taking a couple of big deep breaths. And that this is sort of, again, where our two little worlds are overlapping is that you're talking about the very sort of emotional experience having a very physiologic effect on your body Mm -hmm. simply by stepping yourself back, closing your eyes for a second and taking a few big deep breaths. And by doing that, you're allowing yourself to be outside that moment, observe what it is, and then also reap the benefits of the change in thermostat in your body. Yeah. And we have to being sad isn't good or bad. Mm -hmm. It just is what it is. It's just an emotional response that we have to something. And so so can you, can you apply that to happiness as well? Because I feel like we're all striving for happiness. Yeah. So happiness isn't good or bad either. (laughs) (laughs) Part two. Part two. Yeah. No, I think we'll get into this a little bit. Yeah. 11 teen, a million teen. (laughs) Um, Happiness is just an emotional response, right? And it's how are you talking like a scientist? I know. Listen, I told you I'm so sciencey today. Um, It's that attachment we have to the good or the bad again. Like I want to only be happy. I don't want to feel the sadness. I am going to try to push away anything that makes me feel sadness because then what it, it's just repression of an emotion, Mm -hmm. which when we repress emotions, they get stuck in our body and then that's trauma and it's, no bueno. Um, and what I kind of wanted to make a point about with that last question that you asked me is that about being a spec, being a spec. Yeah. Is that when we sort of break this cycle of struggle, when we're struggling for something different than what we are just feeling right now, when we're able to just sit with it and be just as we are, we actually realize that we're a part of a greater cycle and a greater web of life and that we're all connected. We're not disconnected because that's what I think mindlessness is sort of the problem with mindlessness is that we're striving for connection, but we are actually disconnecting even more. And when we acknowledge like our impact within ourselves, we then acknowledge the impact on each other. And then when we realize that like, you are me, I am you. That's huge. I'm less likely to want to create harm to you in any way or, you know, like that's kind of, and when you see that, you're like, holy shit, I'm not a (laughs) tiny speck of life. Like I matter, like I matter. And I'm a unique. You are the butterfly. Yeah, you're a unique inspiration and you have like a unique contribution on, on this planet. So that's, why I think it's so important and it brings you deeper than just being surface level. So to wrap this up a little bit on the introduction to mindfulness here, mindfulness is what? Mindfulness is self-awareness, self-inquiry, and a non-judgmental observation of our state of being in any exact moment. Okay. So now we know what it is. 
in the next episode, we're going to have to talk about how you do it because it's not so simple. It's not. And or life. maybe it is so simple and people just don't do it. I tell my students all the time, um, life is simple. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Mm, huge. You, you show up and you do the best that you can within every moment to align yourself with your potential. That doesn't mean that that is going to like, be easy work. No, that is not going to be easy work. I'm excited to dive into this deeper yeah, next me week. me too. All right, next time, how. The how of mindfulness. I love it. Thank you for listening to the Intuitive Science Podcast. Please remember to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you would like, leave us any feedback or rate the podcast. We would love to hear what questions you have for us. And you can use the connect button on our website, www.intuitivesciencepodcast.com. We also have a magical weekend in Sonoma coming up August 16th through the 19th. Root Nourish and Grow is a life transformational retreat and we have a couple spots left. So if you're interested in learning more about that, you can also find out that information under the event space on our website. Show notes are also available on our website under listen. We'll have links to any of the books, the studies that Rachel mentioned and other information available there.